So, okay, so should we start this? What do you think? Yeah, sure. Right. We always have the same... For, for, for uh, consistency's sake, we should always start with, Welcome to the well. Or is this the drop? What are we calling this thing? <laughs> <laughs> That's every single time we do one of these. <laughs> so you go. You decide right. what this is called. <laughs> um... Why don't we just start by talking? <laughs> You're not going to welcome the guest? Nah. Okay. Uh, nah. Nah. Not that kind of show. Yeah. All right, then. What have you been doing? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, first of all, I'm sitting on my back porch uh, looking at a perfect half moon. Today, what did I do today? Today, it, time has become this just <laughs> completely pear-shaped thing, trying to remember what was today. Uh, today, uh, let's see, I uh, bottled a new batch of kombucha, because mm. little known fact, I brew my own kombucha. What flavor? Uh, this week, I'm doing mango. Oh, mango. Yeah. You didn't you didn't accidentally autoclave it in the uh, washing machine again this time. That's <laughs> <laughs> destroying what? the only purpose of making kombucha is to not sterilize it. What Brandon's referring to is uh there was a time when we were still living in Brooklyn and I made a huge four gallon batch of kombucha in individual bottles and crushed all the fruit fresh and with the help of my amazing wife. And uh because you wanna when you're when you're uh, letting the kombucha carbonate, you want to put the bottles in a place that are that's safe in case they explode. And we were using using my dishwasher, and uh, we stored this like I don't know, thirty bottles of kombucha in the dishwasher. And <laughs> later that evening, I walked into the kitchen and I noticed that the and you know normally we would we would leave the the dishwasher open or just cracked a bit. And I walked into the kitchen and I noticed that somehow probably me had bumped against it and had closed the dishwasher door and i said oh no <laughs> and i opened it to see that not only had i turned it on i turned it on to a setting called sterilize <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't know <laughs> kombucha <laughs> contains bacterium uh, which is what creates the carbonation and makes kombucha kombucha. So I had just killed four gallons of probiotic kombucha, um, and I I was so heartbroken I'd stopped for like a year. That's <laughs> uh, such a letdown. Well, the anyway, that death, was that, mourning the death of all that bacteria. <laughs> so that was this that was this morning, and then uh, uh, we um, started. Uh, uh, weather sealing the enclosed garden, uh, which you helped me work on this summer, and uh, getting it ready for the winter. Um, oh, you mean the, the staining? Yeah, the wrapped up, I wrapped up the carpentry part of it. I got it mostly finished, and we're uh, we're staining it uh, to get it ready for for the winter. And that was about it. What are you up to? Cool. Uh, work writing. 
Uh, had a really nice weekend up at the cabin with some friends. Uh, a friend of mine had a wanted a birthday up there, and because of social distancing and all that stuff, you know, we couldn't go out to a fancy restaurant. But she wanted a fancy birthday, uh-huh. so which th- meant now you've got like six people up in a cabin in the woods, uh, <laughs> getting dressed up and having a cocktail party. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the girls got like into their makeup and everything and everything. Yeah, very very glamorous. Right, but we all but all wearing boots okay. because we're all you know right uh, walking around in dirt. And um, oh, the weather was just perfect up there. We went uh, apple picking. It just couldn't have been more ideal. It felt like an early, perfect fall, early day. Oh, it was just yeah. a really, really just lovely couple of days. It was kind of, uh, kind of ideal. That ate, reminds ate, me. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, just ate like a king, you know. Uh, you know how my crew is when they start cooking. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, inc- it's incredible. Like, they just... They go so far with it, you know, like, and I walk, like, I'm outside, like, working on the fire or whatever, and I come inside, they're all in their nice dresses and stuff, and uh, there's a table full of, like, uh, individually made cocktails, like, like a flight of six different cocktails for six different people, so there's 36 <laughs> individual glasses <laughs> garnished with ice and fruit and whatnot. Anyway, very, it's the fanciest we've ever been up there. What well, that reminds me, I, I I forgot to tell you on Monday, uh, we went to Storm King. I saw. Yeah, I've been posting about it on social media. But have you been there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that yeah, place is great. Am- and and what I nobody ever told me. Like they told me about yeah, it's five hundred acres of of giant outdoor sculptures, um, but. And, and for the people who don't know what I'm talking about, this is a place called the Storm King Art Center. It's in New something, <laughs> New York. Uh, forgive me, I'll figure that out. I'll, and we'll post something in the show notes about this place. But it's a huge uh, sculpture garden over 500 acres. And I'd always heard uh, about the sculptures, but I nobody talked about the land. Mm. That piece of land is absolutely gorgeous. And they and they keep it. The gardeners, they keep it so pristine. Um, I just fell in love with that property. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's it's an enormous undertaking. That when you, when you think more, you think about it, how what it would take to like upkeep that place. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's in Mountainville. Is that apparently. right? Yeah. Okay. That's what it says. Mountainville. Yeah. Um, wait a minute. Storm King Art Center turns public. God, why don't they just tell me where it is? We'll edit that out. <laughs> I thought it. I'm not editing this at all. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Tired of editing. Oh god, that's that's another thing that's been happening to me, man. Is I just I have no creative energy at all. New Windsor, New Windsor, New York. New Windsor, that's it. I just all right. ever since the the pandemic hit, like, and I th- I do think that part of it is that I needed a creative break. You know, like I, the last couple of years have been pretty intense. But also there's something about that just, I don't know, there's, there's an element of all of this that just feels, not to be dramatic, but a little post-apocalyptic um, mm. that I've just been on, I've been more on intake. There are times I've, I've realized in, in an artist's life where you're on output, but mm-hmm. there are times where you have to be on input, and I've been on input, and I've, um, and feeling no guilt about it. <laughs> really, 
I've enjoyed putting on my headphones and going to work outside and listening to books on tape and podcasts or, you know, on down days reading a book, but I've just had no, no energy to write or to edit, which is why you guys haven't had a, an episode in a while. I apologize, but... Um, it's Anson's fault. I tried to get him to do something. <laughs> he wouldn't fault me every inch we, of the way. We do have a great episode in the can uh, of What Are You Doing uh, that I don't want to spoil right now, but uh, it will be coming out soon, I promise, uh, especially now that the cold weather's getting here and I can't work outside anymore. <laughs> um, but I've just been feeling it, man. Um, and I'm sure I'll get back. I always do, but... Um, I've just needed to take a creative break. And, and on the heels of that, I think I'm going to need a social media news break too. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's just, just too much going on. You know, like I watched the 60 minutes interview with the, I forget his name, but the head coach at, at Louisiana, mm-hmm. the football coach in Louisiana state who, uh, <laughs> surprised the interview on 60 minutes by saying he's not watching the news. Like what? He's like, there's too much. He's Cajun. He's like, there's too much going on. I can do, that. <laughs> I can do my job. And I was like, yes, yes, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Now I I I uh, didn't delete it, but I deactivated uh, my Facebook and oh, wow. um, because I was uh, mostly because you know I was in in, in, a, in a writing project and it was just like when you're uh, at least I you know, we'll find all sorts of other things to do other than write when I'm supposed to be writing. So just by removing that temptation was the best thing I have ever done. Mm. And it also, it also kind of got me out of the news cycle a little bit. And, um, like today I actually like listened to the news again and I got like 30 minutes of it. Like, nah, that's enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, so you're saying that you were listening to books and tape I'm trying to segue into the part where we get around to yeah, what we've been so listening to. Yeah, so after that very long preamble, <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a segment we've been doing between seasons called The Drop, the which drop. is basically just an opportunity for Brandon and I to check in with our listeners, even though we're not publishing full episodes, which we will soon, I promise, we'll get into third season. But right now, we're just kind of letting you guys know what we've been listening to, watching, experiencing, intaking that has been meaningful to us and uh, hopefully give you something to go and enjoy. So with that said, what uh, what do you got, bro? Uh, well, I'm going to start off with the, with the with the big one because it okay. was also a kind of a funny, a fun experience to go do. Bilga Abiri, who I reference all the time uh, and, yeah. says and who says he's going to be on the show and never does. Great film critic. Um, yeah, he works. He's working. Oh, God, wait a minute. The voice closed. He's back with Vulture. And I only right. say that because he's never given me a bad review <laughs> <laughs> that I know of. <laughs> well, he's also not very critical. I'm kidding. Right. Um, uh, he's not very discerning. I'm kidding. He's he's a he's a film critic. Film critic. He's other film critics will quote him. But why am I why am I uh, carrying Bilka's water right now? Um, so he's a huge Chris Nolan fan and. And the problem was in New York, all the theaters are still closed. He really, he really, really wanted to go see Tenet. And so he rented out a theater in New Jersey. And we spent, took an hour and a half drive out there. This is about a week ago. And uh, just the three of us, Bilga, Sharon, and myself, and watched Tenet. And it's kind of funny. We go into the, the, the theater, and it's just the three of us in this huge theater. And... <laughs> Vilga sits over in one of the sort of like the wheelchair accessible seats in the middle 
and Sharon and I go sit in the other, but hers won't recline. So I go over to Bill, I'm like, hey man, do you mind switching seats? <laughs> and he's like, oh God. <laughs> he's like, I'd rather sit somebody. No, he gets up and moves to the uh, really close to the screen. And I'm like, how do you, you don't have to do that, man. We're suddenly we're having an argument about seating and we're the only three people <laughs> in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so we watched. So we watched Tenet, the little private screening, and um, I'm sure a lot of people have already seen it. It was really only in New York and places that were closed down that you that it was hard to see. But it's I'm curious to see get, get your reaction to it. I kind of feel like, first of all, Nolan has always been obsessed with time for some reason. He's just like he can't tell a straight story. Like the, um, Memento. Uh, uh, was his and uh, Inception and now this. I feel like I'm missing one. But he's just uh, really into sort of illusion. And, well, 1917. Uh, which Yeah, 1917 is all based on time. Oh, oh wait, and no, that's, course, not, that's not Nolan, is it? Yeah, it is. It is? No, 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 no sorry, 1917. You're thinking yeah. of Dunkirk. No, I'm thinking Dunkirk. Dun- Dunkirk, yeah, Dunkirk. 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 Dunkirk is Nolan. Um, yeah, that's all based on time and, of course, Interstellar. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he really has a bee in his bonnet about time. And so this time, he, this time, in, in the world of time, he has uh, this thing where p- certain objects can be inverted and move backwards through time. So there are these, re- on these just <laughs> the coolest but most confusing fight scenes I've ever seen where causality is backwards where a person moving forward through time is fighting someone moving backwards through time. And it it really doesn't make any sense. Like when you, first of all, whenever you get into time travel, you get into paradox and you might as well give up on any of this stuff ever resolving completely because it's it's impossible. Um, so and, and I think he kind of did that on purpose this time because I think what he really wanted to do is to make a really propulsive, uh, action film with a lot of intrigue and he really wasn't that interested this hmm. time in explaining everything. I mean, I think he got a lot of flack for over explaining things in some previous films and this time he's just like, you know what? This is going to be a mess. You're going you're to have to get used to it because we're not slowing down. <laughs> we're just full speed ahead and you, it almost became like, I, it's, it's, not a, it's not an experimental film. It's nothing. There's nothing abstract about it but there is a uh, he's more interested in creating a propulsive, rhythmic sort of experience than he is in telling a story, really. I mean, there's a story there, but it's so complicated that you kind of give up on, like me, halfway through, I thought, I'm not going to understand this the first time through. So I'm going to abandon logic and just sit back and watch some of the craziest editing I've ever seen. And if it does not win an Oscar for editing, then nothing deserves an Oscar for editing. I mean, right. I'm an editor. And normally, you don't really know. I don't know how you determine who wins an Oscar for editing because you don't know what they have to work with. It all depends on how, what they shot. Uh, but this was so technical and so difficult and weird. And I'm, I'm sure this must have been a confusing experience for the editor, too, who's... Previous film was uh, oh who worked with Ari, she works with Ari Aster, Hereditary, mm-hmm. I think. So she went f- she went from kind of a small 
you know, indie fare to mega budget, uh, kind of in one big swoop. Um, anyway, uh, kinetic, confusing, propulsive, fun. <laughs> the, I recommend it. The well, my in my movie category, and you're gonna have to remind me. I don't think we talked about this before. Um, mm. if we have, tell me, and I'll cut this out. But did we talk about Mind Game? I don't think we actually did. I think uh, no. Did oh we? man. You know I'm, what? Even if we did already, I'm, it's worth reiterating. <laughs> yeah, it is. This is. It is without a doubt uh, m- my favorite anime movie of all time, and the single greatest depiction of God that I have seen outside of the Old Testament. <laughs> it is astounding that introduction to the force we think of as God. It is, it's so humbling and it's, it's gigantic. And, uh, you know, but you know, the first 20, 30 minutes of the film, you're like, okay, this is all right. You know, it's intriguing. I guess there's some tension and then something happens to the protagonist and it just goes down this rabbit hole. It it, it is, it is such such a, a well-conceived journey spiritually. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, 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 I don't want to ruin it, uh, but, but if you have not seen this, and I can't remember what year it's from. It's been around for at least six or seven years, uh, but it's called Mind Game. And I think we rented it... Um, either on Amazon or, or iTunes, but you can find it. Mind Game. And do you, who is the filmmaker? Uh, Masaki Yusa and Koji Morimoto. And they've gone on. I, we looked up, we, it's been a while since we've looked at this. They've kind of gone on to do more commercial fare. This was, this film is from 2004. Yeah, 2004. So it's been around a while. Yeah. But I uh, highly, highly recommend it. It, uh, it just, it kind of, it... What I loved about it, I mean, other than to add on to everything you said, it, uh, the way it keeps upping the ante yeah. as it goes through, we used to, we're like for the first like 20, 30 minutes, like, oh, okay, that's kind of neat and cute. And then it starts getting kind of crazy and kind of berserk. And then you think like, they sh- they've certainly maxed out the crazy by now. And then they keep finding new levels of it. And I, right, uh, I remember we were, we all watched it together, and I think our jaws were on the floor by the end. Yeah, <laughs> you're just like you're, it's almost exhausting. <laughs> by the end, you're like, okay, I think I've had enough of this, you know. But it's it's just because there's so much. It starts coming at you so fast after a while. Um, but the, the, there's like this entrance of God at one point, and then God's ent- God's exit is so amazing. I won't paint the picture for you, but he's basically <laughs> surfing out, and he's going. Bye, I'll always be on your side. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. I'll always be on your side. <laughs> right, right, right after this com- most confusing encounter you've ever seen. Yeah. Where you're not sure like who it was or if you want him on your side or like if he's for, if he's it's yeah. the first indication that he might be, you know, but, but it's, it's so it's so psychedelic because as God explains to him, you don't have the faculties to perceive 
what I am or how big I am. So your mind is trying to fill in dreams to, to make sense of what I am. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's so psychedelic. It's so wild. And, and just, yeah. it, it, it's immense. Um, and the other thing I have in film to recommend, I don't know if you've started watching this, uh, but this documentary series on HBO Max called The Vow. Yeah. Yeah, this deep dive into uh, this cult called Nexium uh, that re- just in the last few years got busted big time. Uh, there was a huge expose in the New York Times. Uh, there was a podcast about it. Um, and anyways, it... it uh, oh, man, how do I even explain this? That You know, cults these days, they don't necessarily look like cults did in the 60s and the 70s. Um, they're not trying to hold you into one location and take control of your identity. They're uh, basically looping into you into some sort of pyramid scheme. And it's just a, it's a, it's a fantastic, uh, scary, um, portrayal of what group think can do to someone. Yeah. What do you think? I think it's great. I, th- I think the access that the, the, the people they have that are sort of telling the story, the people, the members who are exiting, um, first of all, it's just really, really well made. Uh, and I have, you know, I've always had a fascination with cults and cult leaders and that kind of thing. So I think it's amazing. And here's the thing, like the guy, what's the guy's name? Richard, no. Oh, um, Ranieri. Mark Ranieri. Yeah. Mark Ranieri. Um, I believe that he's a genius. Or Kevin Ranieri. Keith Ranieri. No, it's Keith Ranieri. Keith. Keith yeah. Ranieri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I believe he's a genius, but this is kind of sh- one of those uh, things that show that there's no connection between genius and ethics or genius and morality. It just means that he is he is an incredibly smart guy, very very charismatic, and just he's a, he's a master at making himself the answer to all of your problems. Um, uh, and he has sort of the uh, he knows enough about the world to be to come across as very authoritative and convincing. I can see why people fell for it. Um, um, anyway, but it's really well made. Really good. I think the next episode's out like this Sunday, Monday. And how is it that how is it the cults always end with the leader going, "Okay, I get to have sex with everybody." <laughs> yeah. Anybody right. I want, but but that's it. Nobody else, nobody else has sex. Just me. <laughs> Why? How does it always end there? <laughs> because I think I, I because I think all cults or cult leaders are uh, it's 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 an ultimate sort of alpha male power grab, you know. Where, yeah. you know, as primates, we're like, if you're not the strongest, you can be, you know, something <laughs> right. else. And that's what right. that's, that's what the alpha male in the troop gets to do, man. Yeah. He claims all he claims all the women. Well, you know, that's what they say. That's like, you know, that's one of the, the thing that that began to separate us from the the other higher apes was the ability to lie. Mm-hmm. In order to uh, create uh, conflict, to, ca- to create divisions, to create teams, to mm-hmm. sow political power in order to procreate better. <laughs> or or procreate to your advantage, you know. Yeah, it always comes down to that. I mean, it's, uh, you know, our, not just our species, but all species. 
do this, but we pretend that we're somehow better than that. That it all comes down to food and sex, ultimately. You know, yeah. Um, th- those are the most important things. We dress it up now differently, but ultimately, in the end, yeah, that's what it's all about. Man. Well, what else you got? Um, documentary uh, called "My Octopus Teacher." I. Dara's sister just told us last night we have to watch this. You're gonna love it. It's really? great, and it's kind of it's, it's something that like, um, well, it's about a filmmaker who's a uh, nature uh, photographer, nature filmmaker. He doesn't really go into specifics about why he's become disillusioned with his life, but he hasn't, you know, made a film or touched a camera in many years and. I guess he's in a sort of sort of a depression, and uh, as therapy, he starts swimming in the waters off South Africa, which is fr- almost freezing. It's very cold water, but as kind of a spiritual exercise or an exercise in, in uh, uh, self control and uh, and such, he, he he's he he's going, you know, just skin diving with a snorkel in these very cold waters. Um, off the coast of South Africa. And while doing it one day, he sees this octopus and he decides to go visit it every day. And then he becomes kind of obsessed with, you know, getting to know this octopus and um, observing its day-to-day, you know, trials and triumphs and stuff. And I think what's extraordinary about it is that normally whenever in every other nature documentary you see an animal and it's kind of a flash in the pan it's like passing a stranger on the street right mm-hmm. you see this uh, other creature go by and then you're like oh that was neat I wonder where they went I wonder where they're going this is a different experience uh, to get to know this individual octopus and then the octopus gets to know him and that's by itself is an amazing thing because, of course, the octopus, like any other, no other, well, not no other, but very few other animals in the ocean are going to take that risk. But this octopus somehow kind of realized, oh, this big thing is not trying to hurt me. Well, maybe we can like hang out and be friends. And they do. And so the octopus will come out and greet him. And, um, and just the access that he has to this animal's life and plus, it's just so well covered. I mean, you just... All of the incidents in this octopus's life are filmed. And uh, very dramatic moments. I don't want to give anything away. Uh, but, you know, some really scary moments for this octopus. You start really feeling for it. Um, I'm not really sure if maybe my mind was more on the octopus than the guy. Uh because even though I loved it and I highly recommend it, I do kind of recall them sort of trying to reach for a, a meaning, uh, some deeper meaning about, you know, that's where the title comes from, Octopus Teacher. I'm not, I can't quite remember what the octopus taught him. <laughs> uh, other than other than some sort of patience, uh, uh, literal sort of like not being so... This sounds like a joke, but, you know, it's a squishy animal. And uh, it would help. Oh, that's right. Okay, now I remember. It, it taught him to be more emotionally available to his family. That's right. How? I'm not totally sure. Uh, 
because uh, if I ever learned anything from an octopus, it would be, how do you change colors? How do I do that? Can I do that? The answer is no. I don't have chromatophores. But uh, uh, if it doesn't matter. You know, that what, you, what this octopus teaches this guy is cool, but there's nothing like just being in the water with this animal and having, and sort of living with it for a year, this condensed year, because they, they live very short lives. You know, this, this species lasts, lives about a year. <clears throat> so anyway, gr- it's great. It's really I, well made. Yeah, I think we might watch it tonight. You should. Yeah. Um, well, so I only have two other things, uh, both podcasts. And uh-huh. the first one I want to mention is that um, the people at CBS Viacom reached out to me recently to let me know there is now an official Star Trek podcast. It's called The Pod Directive. Mm-hmm. And it just launched. Ben Stiller is the first guest. And they just dropped an episode also with Reza Aslan. Uh, they sent me a promo. and We're going to play it for you now. Hi, I'm Tawny Newsom, And I'm Paul F. Tompkins. And we're hosting the official Star Trek podcast, Star Trek, The Pod Directive. We're huge Star Trek fans talking to other huge Star Trek fans who just happen to be award-winning actors, writers, politicians. We even got a real-life astronaut in there and more. We're talking to them all about their love of Star Trek, how it influences their everyday lives, and how it continues to impact them and the world around them. Subscribe now to Star Trek, The Pod Directive on Apple Podcasts. Live long and prosper. Engage! No. What do you mean, no? <laughs> so, I don't know, man. It sounds pretty good to me. Uh, I, I'm definitely going to be listening. Even though, to people, I think, that aren't into Star Trek, I think that this could either be a, a great entry point for you or just an opportunity to listen to cool folks talking about something that they're into. Um, I, I really dig it. Uh, the other one that I wanted to talk about is, <laughs> have you listened to Bunga Bunga yet? No. <laughs> oh, wow. Bunga Bunga. It's a podcast that covers the political history of Silvio Berlusconi. Oh, my gosh. And, I, you know, before this, I, I kind of knew that Berlusconi was this controversial former prime minister of Italy. I knew something about some scandals involving some women and... I, but, oh my God, I, oh man, if you want to feel better about where we are politically in this country, <laughs> just <laughs> listen to this podcast because it is astounding what this guy did, man. He was a, first of all, he was a media mogul who in an age of reform saw that he possibly could come under indictment. And in, and in Italy, any member of parliament is exempt from prosecution. So he decided it was time to become prime minister. And, you know, they're, a parliamentary, they're in a parliamentary system, which means that the only way to become prime minister, you don't you don't run for president. You basically your party has to win the most seats in parliament. And then the head of that party is the prime minister. So he launched a new party and he brought to d- together a couple of different coalitions, were, which were vehemently opposed, but but could agree on one thing, which was anti-immigration. And he 
started going to provinces uh, that were weak in the representation. And the way that he, well, first of all, the most of the people that he ran were executives from his media company. <laughs> but in provinces where he didn't have people who could claim residency in those provinces, they would go to those provinces and they'd hold auditions. And they're basically looking for people that look good in a suit and can memorize a script. <laughs> wow. And that no other rec- no other requirements. And then he'd fund your campaign. This guy and he won. He won. He 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 basically lifted his senior executiveship out of his media company and he moved it into parliament. Wow. It is Unbel- and that's just scratching the surface, man. This this podcast is so good. Uh, episode five just launched. Um, the 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 host. I I'm sorry I don't have her name in front of me right now. Maybe do, I do. Hold on. Let me see. Bunga bunga with a uh, Whitney Cummings. She's really funny and so smart. And so I I just I highly recommend you check out Bunga Bunga. It, it's a it's a it's a Great fun listen. That, that that does sound good. I'll definitely check that one out. Uh, TV show. Have you heard? Have you heard? Pen fifteen. Ten fifteen. Pen P E N. Fifteen. Ten. Pen. Pen. Like pen. Yes. P E N fifteen. Mm-hmm. No. What is it? It's a uh, series. It's on uh, Hulu. Um, uh, kind of short, shortish episodes, thirty minutes. It's a uh, uh, the comedic story of middle school seen through the eyes of two seventh grade girls dealing with the awkwardness of being a teenager. Now that could be a setup for something very rote and that we've seen before. But what's really amazing about this is it really the talent. Uh, Maya Erskine and Anna Kunkel. Uh, they, they play the two seventh graders. Oh, and both, I know what you're talking about. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're both like thirty something, right? Right. <laughs> but they, but they play seventh grades, and um, and it visually is a metaphor. It works so well because what could possibly make them more awkward looking than playing against all of these actual thirteen and fourteen? Everyone else in the cast is actually age appropriate, like thirteen, fourteen years old. Except for these two <laughs> adult women acting like seventh graders, and it's just so well written, and it's so uh, it has such empathy for that time, you know, in their lives. And there's so much. I'm kind of amazed at the performers and the writers' ability to connect to the naivety and the sort of um, high energy stress of that of being that age. And I, I, I think Maya uh, Erskine is pretty exceptional. And I think we're going to see a lot more of her. She's one of those people that's so good that you just can't imagine her doing anything else. That you just assume that that's who it is. Um, but then you, uh, find but then I come to find out that she, you know, one, I forgot some regional theater thing for, for Hamlet. And, you know, she's very trained, uh, she's very experienced, but she's she's just so good. Just every every little decision that she makes, she's just inhabiting <laughs> this seventh grade girl. 
And they mine so much comedy and so much drama. And they're usually the same thing, which is, I think is the the stroke of genius of the whole show is that it doesn't vacillate between com- comedic bits and dramatic bits. They tend to constantly overlap in this really queasy way that pretty much feels the way middle school feels. Queasy, awkward. Uh, you're very uncertain of what you're supposed to be feeling most of the time. <laughs> um, I, 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 it is some of the kind of show that I would get that I would I would get hooked on. You know, like the story of like uh, two seventh grade girls, you know, in a middle school drama comedy. Uh, but yeah, it got me. I think because the performances, lead performances are so good. They're so good. Sometimes it, th- th- that's why it feels like a drama. Some of the time is because sometimes it feels so real uh, that it it, le- it it sort of leans into you know this part isn't really funny because this is a terrible moment in uh, in adolescence or pre adolescence. Um, but it's also uh, the kind of show where nothing nothing terrible terrible ever happens. It doesn't need that. To, to get the drama, it just it it understands perfectly well that being a thirteen year old girl in middle school is traumatic enough. <laughs> you don't have to add big dramatic moments or, tra- or traumas to it uh, to, to to drive home that point. And then finally, I was also been watching Raised by Wolves. Have you seen? Oh that? yeah, man, we've been. Yeah, yeah. What do you th- What do you think? It it's. I mean, I'm I'm so far I'm thumbs up on it, okay. Uh, yeah, overall I am too. But I yeah. I I just I I I'm getting to the point where I need to know more about the world that these people come from. It's a, it's it's mm-hmm. taking place a little bit in a in a box, and the cast is great. Uh, the I, I, and it, 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 you know, it, it, it gets at parenthood in a, in a very interesting way. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you can explain what it's about. Well, rather, rather than explain specifically what the show is about, because uh, people can read that part, I think it's interesting because it's, it's Ridley Scott produced. And Ridley Scott has become more and more. He's always been there, but he's become sort of fixated on these creation myths and uh, especially the idea of uh, the creation turning on the creator. Um, I mean, that's essentially what... when he, As he started to develop the alien universe with Prometheus and stuff, that's what that was about. And so much of Raised by Wolves feels almost like Ridley Scott wrapping things up. Uh, and also, just the production design, I feel like he went back through, you know, four decades of his career and just yanked props and design elements from everything he's ever made and put it all in this thing. Uh, there's even some stuff from his uh, uh, Crusade film. And there's this religious element and they and they all kind of have a slightly crusader look to them. I don't want to really go into the plot right now. People can read that, but it's essentially, you know, 
<laughs> that old story of we create AI to save us and then it ends up turning on us and then we need it to save us again and then it falls in love with us and then it wants to kill us. You know, it's a boy meets girl story. Um, uh, but it's good. I, I really like the production design, but I, I agree with you. There's something a little too... It's, it's kind of dancing around the periphery a little too much. I kind of want it to dive in. Yeah, I'm sticking with um, it, though. I think it will. I think yeah. it will. Yeah, no, I will, yeah. too. Um, and you know what? I think that's it. Although I will say, uh, about a year ago, years and years ago, I allowed my uh, subscription to Harper's Magazine lapse, and recently I resubscribed. What a great magazine. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. This is the only magazine I can really read cover to cover. It's just, it's, it's got, I think it's, it's got some of the most sort of, hmm. Well, t- well, today when it comes to journalism, we always assume we're always worried about bias. I think this is one of the most fair, even handed and circumspect magazines out there. And also it just it covers so much territory, art, literature, film, philosophy um and then when you get a little if any of it gets too heavy they have these little sidebars and i was going to read one okay that's okay with you i love that's my favorite part of the magazine actually (laughs) and they they have great and they have great titles this one they filed under inventory worst responders from a 2017 complaint filed by david and gretchen jessen against fresno county in the city of clovis california for damages incurred during a police raid on their home. In June 2016, construction workers called the police after they witnessed a homeless man break into the Jensen's house. The Jessens returned to find their home surrounded by law enforcement. The Jessens argued that damage to their home was unreasonable and unjustified. <clears throat> so here's the inventory of the, of, of, from the report itself. So, the Clovis Police Department and the Fresno County Sheriff's Office deployed against this homeless homeless man they saw entering someone's home, deployed the following. 55 vehicles, a canine unit, two helicopters, two ambulances, a fire truck, a crisis negotiation team in a motorhome, (laughs) a SWAT team, a backup SWAT team, and a robot. Law enforcement officers did the following to the Jessens' home. Broke six windows. Ripped out the front door and interior door. Pulled an office wall off the foundation. Used a flash bomb in the office. Ripped off the door to the laundry room. Used a flash bomb in the laundry room. Tear gassed the laundry room. Tear gassed the kitchen. Tear gassed the master bedroom. Tear gassed the guest bedroom. Tear gassed the office bathroom. Tear gassed the sewing room. Destroyed more than 90 feet of fencing with a SWAT vehicle. Shattered a glass door for robot entry. Now, the homeless man did the following. Broke a window. Stole milk, an ice cream bar, and half a tomato. I remember reading one of these things. Um, God, this was years ago. But it was it was from a, a a declassified intercept from the Taliban that was <laughs> an establishment of soccer rules 
as interpreted through the Quran. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, that was. Did you see it? I, I, you know that. That's all. I'm, that's all. I, I know. I did. That's all I'm going to remember. Unless incre- you can remember more of it. It was incredible. Um, can you remember any of it? No, I can't remember any of it. No, but it was. It was. It was really, really fun. Um, I just have one more thing I want to squeeze in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that I've been doing a lot of work outside and listening to books on tape. Uh, there's one that really stood out to me this summer. Uh, it's called uh, The Monster of Florence. And it is a nonfiction novel by Douglas Prescott and Mario Spezzi. Uh, and Douglas is, uh, he's an American journalist. Uh, he also writes fiction, but he, it had long been his dream to live in Italy. And, uh, at one point he, he moved with his family to Italy, to Florence and somehow came across this local journalist named Mario Spezzi and they had coffee and he asked Douglas where he was living and Douglas told him and he said, Oh, right across uh, the street from you, that vineyard, that is the location of one of the most famous murderers in Italian history. <laughs> and it turns out uh, that Mario Spezzi had been investigating the most notorious ser- serial killer, uncaught serial killer in Italian history. And one of the murders had happened right where Douglas Preston was living. And they decided to collaborate on a book about this investigation and these murders and it ended up that they that they got caught up into the story in a way that I do not want to ruin for the listener right now uh, it is it is an amazing read it is not just an insight into the depravity of the the types of the type of a mind that that could be a serial killer but into the depravity of government corruption and the co-option of story and the media for the use of power. Um, I, I really, I really recommend, and it, you know what? It's a great listen. Uh, I can't remember the reader who does this on audible, but it's, uh, if you're, if you're a runner or you're doing a lot of work outside or you, you like to listen to things when you're when you're doing something else. It's a I highly recommend this. It was I just couldn't get enough of it. It actually made me want to work longer outside so that I could get to the end of of the next chapter. It's called The Monster of Florence. That's a good sign. Well, you can't turn it off. That's rare. Yeah, that you've got that something holds you like that. Um, all right, man. Yeah, yeah. Good catching up it. with you. Yeah, good. So, so should we finally introduce this? Introduce what? Welcome to the well. <laughs> I am Brandon Edgens. Is it too late? And I am Brandon Edgens. <laughs> no, I, I, I am I am Spartacus. I uh, uh, I smell dinner cooking inside. Are you sure that's not the Rock? The what? Because he's the Rock. Can't you smell what the Rock is cooking? The Rock. The Rock. Dwayne Johnson. I was trying to. I thought you were going to catch that. No. What does that Dwayne, mean? What does that Dwayne, even mean? Can't you smell what the rock is cooking? I don't know Do you what you smell that means? what the rock is cooking. What is Dwayne that? the Rock Johnson? And what is that's that? his little that's his like wrestling catchphrase. That's what that's his sort of that's his catchphrase. 
You're such a redneck. <laughs> oh, I'm just a. I, I, uh, I, 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 nah, I don't have anything. <laughs> The Well is produced, recorded, and edited by Brandon Edgens and me, Anson Mount. Theme music by Brandon, based on a composition by Jonathan Myberg. For links to everything we talked about today, go to our website, thewellpod.com, and check out the show notes beneath this episode's play bar. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week. <laughs>